pray before we get into the word. Father God, we thank you for this morning, Father. Father, I thank you that you show up in this place, that you're going to move today, that you're going to speak to our hearts, Father God, that you're going to minister in a way like only you can, Father. I thank you that hearts are ready to receive what it is that you have for us today and that there's going to be a mighty move of God, Father God. I thank you that we can lay aside everything that's going on and just focus on you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you got your Bibles, we're going to jump right into it. You got your Bibles, go with me to the book of Acts chapter 16. We're going to go into Acts chapter 16. And uh, here in a little bit, we'll throw it up on the screen. So that if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with us up on the screen. This morning, what I want to do is I want to take a, a look at the life of two gentlemen in a situation that they came across that I believe can apply in our lives, in our everyday lives. And it's something that every single one of us goes through almost on a daily basis. Now these guys, we're going we're gonna to look at the life of Paul and Silas. Now Paul and Silas, they were what you could call like first generation Christians. Jesus came and, and, and he did his ministry here on earth and then he died on the cross and, and rose back and, and, and ascended into heaven. And right before he left, he, he went to his disciples and he says, now you guys go and you spread the word of God. You go and you spread what it is that I have taught you and the love that I've given to you. And so they go out and they start ministering to all these people and eventually it comes to Paul and Silas. And so they, they are, are people that are going out and ministering the word of God that were like first generation Christians. And they're on this divine mission. And it, it's awesome because God is such a good God and he talks to us in so many different ways. One of the, one of the most common ways that God talks to us is when you open your Bible. Every time you open it, it's, it's God's word. And he's speaking to us immediately. As soon as you open it, God starts to speak to our hearts. And, and sometimes we don't quite understand exactly what it is that we read. Sometimes we ha- can't figure out how to apply it in our life. But then a situation comes up. Something happens in our life. And it's all of a sudden we just remember and we're like, oh yeah, I remember this. I remember I read a story that was something similar to this. And I can now apply it in my life. And so he speaks to us through, through his word. Sometimes he'll send people into our path, people that, that we know. Sometimes it's strangers will just come up and, and, and give us a, a hug and just say, you know what, God loves you. And that in itself, it's God speaking through that person to us and just sharing the love of God. And then another way that God speaks to us is, is, is men. He speaks to us through our wives. I heard a couple of chuckles and one amen from a wife. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's difficult as men sometimes for us to be like, this is my wife and she's correcting me. And men, listen, it's the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through your wife. She's your helpmate. She's there to help you. She's there to encourage you. And so God uses your wife sometimes to even speak to you as men. Amen? Uh, we got all the women that said amen on that. So in this situation, Paul is spoken to by the Holy Spirit of God. They're getting ready to go out and minister on this divine mission. And the Holy Spirit was telling them, I need you to go here and minister. So they would go. The Holy Spirit would say, I need you to go here and minister. So they would go. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit would say, I need you to stop right where you're at and don't go any farther. Don't go over there. And he was doing it for their protection because he knew they wouldn't receive the word of God. And so they were so in tune with the word of God. And then one of the other ways, and this is how God spoke to Paul, is through dreams through visions. And God speaks to Paul at this time in his life through a dream. And what's going on is, is he sees this man from Macedonia. 
this older man and starts, he's on one side of the river and he's calling out to Paul and saying, Paul, I need you to come over here and minister the word of God to us. I need you to help us. Come this way, Paul, come this way. And the Bible says that immediately they got up, they got their stuff and they got ready to go. And then this was the, this was the awesome part. This is just the goodness of God. Is that sometimes God will speak to us, whether it's through a wife, through a stranger, through a friend, through the Bible. He'll tell us to do something. And sometimes we're like, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to bring you up in conversation. You told me to go and minister the word, but how do I bring you up in the conversation, God? The goodness of God. If he sends you somewhere, he's going to give you all the tools you need to do it too. And so, so Paul here, he gets this dream of this man from Macedonia saying, come over here. And he says, okay, I want to go to Macedonia, but I don't even know how to get there. I don't even know the way. And in that dream, God gives him a map and says, this is how you get there. Just like God will do the same for you. If God has sent you, God will equip you with everything you need in order to accomplish that mission. And so they go and they start to travel. And they're ministering as they're going along. And they, they come to, to Macedonia. They're ministering there. And Paul looks at Silas and, and Timothy is with them. And he looks at them and says, guys, it's, it, we need to pray. It's time to pray. We've been ministering and ministering and we just need to pray. So we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It says, once when we were going to a place to pray, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now get this, Paul and Silas are walking along. They come across this young girl who's just screaming out the top of the girl. She's a young slave girl. She starts screaming out saying, these men right here, they are servants of God, of the most high God, and they're going to come and tell us how to get saved. Everybody listen up because this, this, this is going to be good. Everybody listen what these guys got to say. And then reading on in verse 18, it says, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. Now get this, stop right there. Just my thinking. There's this young girl saying, here come the servants of the Most High God, announcing them as they're walking in. And it says, Paul got annoyed with it. And so I started thinking, okay, why, why would she get annoyed? Why, why, why would Paul get annoyed with it? Like if I were to walk into a room and, and Jesse were to be right in front of me and, and he'd be like, hey everybody, here comes Pastor Jimmy, he's about to preach the word of God to us, I'd be like, that's awesome. Keep it up, man. That's, I mean, I would just feel cool. That would just be awesome. Like I got my own entourage and people were like following me and telling me, hey, here comes Jimmy. I, I would think that was cool, but why does Paul get annoyed? This is why I believe that Paul got annoyed. It's because she was not saying, here comes Paul and Silas and Timothy, the servant of the Most High God. They're going to tell us how to get saved. Instead, I think she was like, here comes Paul and Silas, the men of God. They're going to tell us what we're doing wrong. I believe that she was mocking them. I don't believe that, that she was announcing them. I believe she was mocking them. Why else would Paul get annoyed with it? And so reading on, verse 18, it says, She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Look at this real quick. Paul never turned and looked at the girl and said, Little girl, shut your mouth. Stop talking. You're getting really annoying. Instead, he turns and looks at the girl and says, Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to stop. He spoke to the Spirit, not the girl. 
He talked to the spirit that was inside of her. Why? Why did he talk to the spirit? Because he knew there was something inside of her that was wrong, that was not right, something that should not be there. And so he spoke to the spirit and said, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And you know what? That name of Jesus, as soon as that, as soon as that spirit heard the name of Jesus, the Bible and the rest of the verse says that immediately the spirit got up and left. And you know what? It was because of the name of Jesus. When the demons hear, when the spirits hear, when they hear the name of Jesus, they have no choice but to flee. They have no choice but to take off out of fear, out of respect for God because he is the Almighty. So when they say the name of Jesus... It has no choice. That's good news. You know why? God, I have a cold today. Well, in the name of Jesus, I am feeling better. God, I need peace. Well, in the name of Jesus, I have peace in my life. The same name that Paul used of Jesus and that spirit left is available to us right now, this very minute, in the exact situation that you're going through. It hasn't lost any of its power. It's the same name. It's the same God that lived thousands of years ago that is now in heaven. It's the same Jesus. And it still works to this very day. At the end of that verse it says, and at that moment the Spirit left her. This morning I, I don't want to look and really focus on the young girl about how she was a slave or why she was a slave. I don't want to focus on too much of, of how Paul was annoyed with her and, and how, she, how we should react as Christians if, if we get annoyed when people are making fun of us, when we get annoyed when it gets hard and, and, and people give us a hard time or, or they mock us. I don't want to talk about how we should react on that. What I do want to focus on is the spirit that was in the girl. That spirit that was inside of her that Paul knew there's something wrong with this girl. That He cast that spirit out. I want to look... At that one spirit. We read the scripture, Acts chapter 16, verse 16. I want to read it to you again out of a totally different translation. This is called the Darby translation. And we're going to throw it up on the screen in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It says, And it came to pass, as we were going to prayer, that a certain female slave, having a spirit of python, met us, who brought much profit to her masters by prophesying. It's one of the only times, very few times in the Bible, when it talks about that there was a spirit inside of somebody that actually gives a name to the spirit. And in this one, if you want to get that video ready, in this one it actually says, there is a spirit of python on the inside of this girl. I want to show you guys a video real quick. The title of, of today's message is called The Spirit of Python. And so I started thinking about it, just the way my mind works, and, and, and trying to, to think this out as, why did they call it a spirit of python? Because a, a python can grow, I mean, up to 20, 22, 25 feet long. It, it can grow massively huge, weigh 100 pounds easily. But yeah, it's still not the biggest snake that is out there. And an anaconda can get to be 30, 35 feet long. It's bigger than, than a python. So why not call it an anaconda? Because it's bigger. 
Or why not call it a king cobra? I mean, just king, the word king cobra just sounds lethal. It sounds deadly. It sounds like the top of the food chain. When you add king in front of something, it just sounds like something awesome. Or for us West Texans, why didn't they call it like the spirit of rattlesnake? So we got all kinds of rattlesnakes around here and stuff. And so why didn't they call it that? Get this. This, this is why I believe that they called it spirit of python and nothing else. You take a, a, a king cobra or you, you, you take a rattlesnake or any other kind of venomous snake and you put it out in its element, you put it out in a field and it's hungry and it's ready to, to, to go and hunt and look for food. It starts to slither its way around until it finds that mouse, that rat, that rabbit, whatever it is, gets real close up on it and jumps on top of it, sinks his teeth, immediately sinks his teeth inside, within seconds injects venom and usually within seconds that prey is dead. Just like that. As soon as that venom comes in, game over. You're done. But a python is totally different. Pythons don't do that. They still have teeth. They can still bite you. But the way a python begins to kill its prey when it hunts is it, is it comes up and it starts to slither around and it wraps itself around its prey slowly, a little at a time. And it starts to squeeze as tight as it possibly can. And every time it's prey, if it wraps itself around you, every time you take a breath and go, it starts to squeeze tighter and and it squeezes and it just chokes the breath out of you. Some pythons are so strong that it can squeeze so tightly that it breaks the very bones that are inside of the body of its prey, just crushes it from the inside. But it totally suffocates it. And the prey eventually dies because it can't breathe. There's no more breath in it. So why would they call it a spirit of python? What's so significant about the breath? Go with me, you got your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 20. This is why I believe they called it the spirit of python. The significance of of the breath, that a python gets its prey and wraps itself and chokes the breath of God out. This is where Jesus is, 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 is talking to his disciples. He just, he just rose back from the dead. And he appears to his disciples for the first time. And they're all excited to see him. John chapter 20 and verse 19. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Get this, Jesus comes up and it says, hey guys, I speak peace over you, peace over your life. And he says, watch this, look at my hands, this is what I did for you. You see the scars, the holes in my hands, look at my side, this is where they pierced me with the spear in my side, and I did this for you. He says, peace is what I bring to you. The disciples, reading on, it says, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In verse 22, this is, where, this is what, what we're going to focus on today. It says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. With that, Jesus comes and says, peace is what I leave with you. <sighs> now receive the Holy Spirit. In, in the book of Acts, there's, there's people that are around, and the Holy Spirit, it says that the Spirit of God comes in like a rushing wind, like a, like a breath of air, comes in, and they all immediately receive the Holy Spirit. You know what breath represents? It's the Spirit of God. 
It's the very presence of God. It's the very life of God. So why is it so significant that a python wraps itself around you and squeezes the breath out of you? Because it's squeezing the life of God out of you. It's squeezing the very presence of God out of your life. And the thing is, is that a python, you know, it, it, it happens real slow. I mean, as, as big as a python is, it happens real slow. It just begins to slowly wrap itself around. And it gets harder and harder and harder to breathe. And when you take that breath and you just get, and it, it's the life of God is being choked out of you. There are things in all of our lives, in, in my life and in your life, things that we allow to come into our lives, sometimes knowingly, sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it, but we allow things to come into our life that is slowly squeezing the breath of God out of us. It's slowly squeezing the very life and presence of God out of our lives. And little by little, we begin to lose our spiritual breath. At one time, it was, it was so easy for us to come in here and Pastor Aaron and the team come up and, and the timer goes down to zero and they start right away. And, and all of a sudden, we, just, we raise our hands and we're just, God is so good. God, I praise you, God. God you, you're worthy of my praise and it's so easy for us. And, and we have all these family members that, that, that are not living for God and we've invited them to church and they're sitting right next to us and so we don't care. We're still like, oh God, you're so good. You're worthy, Father God. We don't care who's around us and we have our coworkers and and they're giving us a hard time for being a Christian, and, and we don't care. We just, we're sold out for God. But at some point in our life, we've started to compromise just a little bit. And we allowed this, this python to come up in our life, and it began to slowly choke us. And then we come into church, and, and, and we want to start worshiping, and we're like, oh God, it's so good to be here, but it's so getting so hard to just worship you. Because we've allowed a python to come into our lives and begin to choke out our praise. And we've stopped being that light to our family. And we've compromised and we've started to play with just a little bit of sin, just a little bit. And that is like a baby python began to just come in on side of us and began to grow and grow and grow in our lives. At one time we could stop it, but now it's just getting more and more difficult in our lives. Because that python is getting stronger. Here's my question for you tonight that, that I want you to sit back, or this morning I want you to sit back and, and really think about it. Really ask yourself, throughout the rest of this message, really think about this. What's the python in your life? What is it that we have willingly let into our life, or, or maybe we didn't even realize we let it in? And there's this python that has come up and began to wrap itself around us, and begin to choke the life of God out of us. Begin to choke our passion for living for God. I'm going to go over just a couple of them of what it could possibly be. This isn't all of them. It could be hundreds of different things for, for everybody. But I'm going to look at just a couple of them. I want to look at the life of Jonah. We all know the story of Jonah and the whale. Jonah, Jonah's a, a, a messenger for God, and God wants him to go and minister. And God says, hey, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to go to Nineveh. It's over this way. I need you to go and tell them what they're doing wrong. Tell them what they need to be doing right. Love on them. Preach to them. Everything's going to be good. Just, just go this way. Nineveh's that way. And Jonah's like, this way, God? That way? God says, yeah, yeah, Nineveh's that way. Jonah says, okay, 
And Jonah literally, he goes the other way, opposite direction from where God had told him to go. A little bit of time goes by, he gets on this boat. He's on the boat, they're out in the middle of the ocean, this big old huge storm comes on and it almost capsizes, almost tips over the boat. And these guys that are on the boat, all the other fishermen, they're looking and they're like, what's going on? It was just so calm. All of a sudden now there's this huge storm. What are we going to do? And they start praying and start thinking about it. And they're like, it's Jonah's fault. He's running from God. He's the one that's going to kill us. And so they're like, let's throw him overboard. Get rid of the problem. You get rid of the storm. And so they go and they grab Jonah and they throw him overboard. Which those of you that know me, I am petrified of water. And so to me, if they were to like grab me, I'd have been like, just kill me now. Instead of like throwing me over. So they grab Jonah and they throw him over. And then, you know, big old well comes, swallows him up and spits him out up on the shore. Huge storm happens in his life. You know where it started? Disobedience. This python, this python of disobedience came up. God said, I need you to go over here. And this python immediately rose up, wrapped itself around Jonah of disobedience, and then fear. It led to fear after that. And it almost led to him dying along with other people. You know, we, we, we had this uh, uh, youth leader that, that would help us at times there in our, in our youth. And we did, this, we did this same series with our youth a long time ago. And through the series, she, she, was, she was talking with us, started thinking about it, and she said, you know what, my python is, is boys. And so I've gone from one boy to the next boy and the next boy, and they weren't really the right relationships that she would be in, and she knew it, but she just she struggled with boy after boy after boy. And then we start doing this Python in, in, in series, and she starts thinking about it, and she realizes that what it was is, is boys was not her issue. It had turned into her issue, and the Python had been so big that that's what you recognized was your Python is a boy, but what really happened is that it started off with something small. A little baby python wrapped itself around and got bigger and bigger and stronger and what it was was disobedience to mom and dad. Because mom and dad told her, this is what's right. This is what the word of God says. This is what we believe as a family. And she was disobedient. Then it led to rebellion towards God. She knew herself what was right and what was wrong according to God's word. And she ignored it. And so that, that spirit of disobedience, the spirit of Python wrapped itself around, got stronger, turned, in, turned into to rebellion, and then it turned into her relationships. And it just got stronger and stronger in her life. And it's the same thing in our lives. When we allow a Python or invite a Python or something that maybe we don't even realize that we let in, and I'm just going to touch on this real quick. Back in Acts chapter 16, when we were reading, it says the, the girl was, had a spirit that could, gave her the ability to be a fortune teller. You mess with that stuff, you just opened a door for a python to come into your life. I'm just telling you right now, you go to Sister Chloe or you call her up on the phone or you go out to the fair and you see that girl that's out there or whatever, you are opening up a door in your life for something that you do not want, I'm telling you. And it always leads to something else. Every time you allow a python into your life. And so with Jonah, it almost killed him and everybody else with disobedience. Maybe, just maybe, that's yours. Disobedience towards mom and dad. Disobedience towards the word of God. Maybe that's what it started off with. You got your Bibles? Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And this is, this is one of parents, this is 
a parent's most favorite scripture. They love to quote it. They love to tell their kids this. They love to go over it over and over because this is what the Word of God says and this is what you're supposed to do. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it will go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on this earth. Students that are in here, young people, you you still got mom and dads. Even if you're 40, 50, 60 years old, you still got mom and dad. Guess what? Honor your mom and dad. It'll go well with you. That's what the Bible says. But as parents, we love it. We're just like, you need to obey me. You need to listen because this is what God says and and you're supposed to honor me and you're supposed to, to do what I say because I'm mom and dad. And parents love to go over the scripture. So young people, be obedient. Young people love the very next part of the verse though. And parents hate it. I love to be the one to tell you it. Ephesians chapter six and verse four. It says, fathers, or mothers, parents, guardians, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instructions of the Lord. You know, you know what that's saying in a roundabout way? Parents, guardians, mom and dad, live your life as an example to your young people. They're monkey see, monkey do. And all the parents just go, ouch. How can you teach them this is right, this is right, this is wrong, don't do that when you're doing it behind their back? I'm going to tell you something, parents. If you don't lay out the foundation for them and teach them this is the way you need to go, this is how you should follow. If you don't lay it out for them, if they're not going to follow you, guess who they're going to follow? The world. They're going to do what everybody else does. If you don't lay it out for them, then they're going to find somebody else that will teach them and love them the way that they want to be. Maybe, just maybe, your python is disobedience. Or maybe it could be like King David. I was looking up in, in King David's life, and, and, and so many of us know the story of King David and Bathsheba and, and how he, he fell into a situation, a relationship with her that he should not have. And so many times we look at it and, and we think we know what his python is, his struggle, what his sin was. Bathsheba's up on the top of the roof and and she's bathing and David is across on the other side of the courtyard and he's on the roof and he looks over and he looks at her and is like, wow, that's awesome. And he's he's got a wife and she was married to somebody else that is in his army that is fighting for him in a different land. And so David looks across and says, I want that. Sends people to go and get her, brings her over sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. So many times we look at that and we're like, his sin, his struggle, his python, it was lust. He looked at her and and lusted after her. I don't believe that's what it was. Because it always starts off with something else and it leads to something bigger and bigger and bigger. I believe in his life what it was, was selfishness. Because he had something already. He had a wife. And he looked over here and saw her and said, I don't care if she's married. I don't care if I'm married. I want what I want, and I'm going to do what I need to do to get it. So he sent for her. I believe his python started off with being selfish. Maybe it's yours. Maybe you tend to be selfish at times and think of how it's only going to benefit you. After that, 
Pride began to rise up. It was selfishness and then lust came in and then pride rose up on the inside of him because he finds out she's pregnant and then he's like, oh, snap, now what am I going to do? And so he goes and he calls for Uriah, the, wife, the, the husband, and says, bring Uriah back over here. And so Uriah comes and he's like, man, Uriah, how's the war going? I'm glad you're fighting for me. Hey, I want you to take a break. Why don't you just go and sleep with your wife and just hang out for a couple of days? hoping that he'll sleep with his wife and it'll look like he got her pregnant instead of King David. Well, Uriah's like, no, this, this isn't right because all of my friends, all my colleagues, all the other soldiers, they're over there dying. They're giving their lives for you and you want me to come back and, and just chill and rest? It's not fair. Well, I'm, I'm nobody special. So Uriah's like, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not even going to see my wife. Nighttime comes and Uriah sleeps on the front porch of the palace. He doesn't even go home. And so pride had risen up in King David because he had this opportunity to look at Uriah and say, Uriah, I'm sorry, I messed up, and I did something with your wife. But pride rose up, and instead he covered his tracks and tried to get Uriah to sleep with his own wife. It went from something small to bigger to bigger to bigger in his life. And then the, wor the worst part of it all is that in in King David's life, even, even after he went from selfishness to lust to pride, and, and, and it led to ultimately him basically murdering Uriah because then he sends him back after he realizes, oh, you're not going to sleep with your wife. He sends him back to war with a note, and the note says to the general, he says, put Uriah in the very front of the war so that he's sure to die. He basically has him killed off. And so it led to murder in his life. And then after that, this was the worst thing of all, which I believe so many of us struggle with, is he didn't repent from all of this for a really long time. Unrepentance. And so many times we could look at David and be like, oh, it was lust. Oh my gosh, it was unrepentance because he did all these things and he never repented. No, it started off with something small that he allowed into his life. It wrapped itself around him, started to squeeze the life of God out of him. And that python just grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And it led to more massive things in his life. And then what's funny is time goes by and he meets this prophet of God named, named Nathan. And Nathan comes up to him and says, tells him this, this crazy story. And, and David looks at him and is like, the guy who's in that story, man, he needs to be killed. Bring him to me. I'll kill him myself. We need to cut his head off. And the prophet looks at him and says, well, guess what? It's you, bud. And King David was like, oh. And that's when he repented. Unrepentance is one ugly python. Maybe that's what it is in your life. Maybe you don't feel like you need to repent of anything, that you're okay. It's squeezing the life of God out of you, but... Hopefully, from, from beginning to now, you've thought to yourself, okay, the spirit of Python will squeeze the breath of God out of you. The very presence of God, your passion that you have to worship and love on God, that Python, whatever it is, will squeeze it out of you. And hopefully, you were thinking about it and thought, okay, I know what my Python is. I think I know what it is. It's something small. It's just a little thing, but you're looking at it and you're like, it, it could get bigger. Or maybe you know that there's this python in your life that you've been struggling with over and over and over and it's been years and years that you've been struggling with and this python is massively huge now. And then even yet, there's some of you that are sit back and you're just like, I don't have a python, I'm good to go. Guess what? There's your python, you think you're perfect. 
because none of us are perfect. I guarantee you every single one of us in here, no matter how big it is, we got a python in our lives. Something going on in our lives that is squeezing the life of God out of us. So how do you get rid of it? Say you know what your python is. How do you get rid of your python? I'm going to give you four steps real quickly of how you can get rid of your python. This is just something that God dealt with me and God spoke to me. I'm not saying that this is the only way to do it, but I believe that God spoke to me and wants to share this with you. The first way to get rid of your python is admit to yourself that you have one. That's the first thing you got to do. It does you absolutely no good to get rid of a python if you can't even admit that you have one. That's the first step to getting rid of it is you admit there is something in my life that is squeezing the life of God out of me. The second thing is you share it with somebody. Now, I'm going to explain this to you because I don't want you to be confused. When I say share it with somebody, you got this python wrapped around you. We're going to say that it's lust. And this python is wrapped around you and you're like, oh God, it's squeezing me. It's squeezing the life of God. I got to get rid of it. I don't want this lust anymore. Here you go. You want it? That's not the kind of sharing that I mean. I don't mean go and share it with somebody else and help them fall into sin and help them create a python in their life. What I'm saying is James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. You know what that's called? Accountability. Share your python with somebody else and tell them, hey, man, I struggle with this. This is my python. This is what's squeezing the life of God out of me. Get an accountability partner so that they can look at you and be like, you know what, I want to help you get through this. I see you struggling and I'm going to walk along with you and we're going to do this together. The third one, and this is the one that for some reason we forget about this so many times because we think we're just capable of doing it on our own. The third one is you pray about it. So simple, yet we forget Pray about it. The rest of James in 5.16, it says, and pray for each other. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. You got to pray about this python. Pray it out of your life. And then the fourth one, and this one is huge, and this one is the one thing that I believe is one of the most difficult things for us to do. Stop feeding it. Stop feeding your python. Think of it this way. I have a little dog at home about this big, little Muffy. And if I get Muffy and I stop feeding her for two, three, four weeks and I come home from vacation after a month and she hasn't eaten, guess what? Muffy's going to be dead on my living room floor. And then I have a hard time explaining to my daughter what happened to Muffy. God likes to resurrect people from the dead, but I don't know about dogs. And so Muffy's going to die. If, if, I, if I don't feed Muffy, she's going to die. If I don't feed myself, if I don't go out and get me a Samburger every once in a while and get me something good to eat, and I stop eating all my food, I'm going to die because I have no food in my body. It's the same thing as a python. You stop feeding it, it's going to die. Everything that you stop feeding will die. You know what that means? That means that if, if, if in your life you know what your python is and you have a python of lust in your life and that thing begins to wrap itself around you and it begins to choke the life of God out of you, guess what? Get rid of your computer. 
If you have a python in your life and it's a relationship that you're in and you're struggling and you guys aren't married and you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, guess what? Don't be alone with them. If you have an issue with going out and drinking, stop going to the bars. Stop hanging out with people that are doing this stuff. Stop feeding your python and eventually the python's going to die. If you stop going to places and stop doing things that are going to cause you to fall into sin and cause that python to wrap itself around you, it's going to die if you would just stop and stay away from those things. But yet it's so hard for us to do. I think that there's reasons that it makes it hard for us to do. I'm going to give you three reasons. Maybe, maybe, this, maybe this will locate you on your python. One of the reasons that we hold on to our python and we don't want to let go of it is because secretly, we like it. We like our python. It's not that we wake up in the morning and we're like, yes, I get to sin against God. It's not that kind of like. It's that I like to look at that stuff on the internet. I like to, to yell at my kids and be angry all the time. I like my bitterness. I like my lust. I, I, I like these things. I like to drink. I, we secretly like our python. And so because we like it, we don't share it with anybody. The other reason that I believe that we, we don't want to get rid of our python is because we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed that we have a python and we don't want people to realize that we're not perfect. And that, that's the, the, the image that, that people give us as Christians. They're like, oh, there's a Christian. You got your whole life together. Everything's perfect with you Christians. No, it's not. Where in the Bible does it say that your life is going to be perfect? Nowhere. We had, we had a, my wife's birthday a little while back in, in May, and we were at the, the birthday party, and I had, I had some of our youth leaders there with us. And uh, I had Tony and Jackie, or some of our youth leaders, and, and they were sitting right next to me. And at the birthday party, my mom and my stepdad and, and my nieces and nephews were in town for her birthday, and so they're all there, and I'm introducing my mom and stepdad and everybody to Tony and Jackie. And so they're looking, and they're like, Does, are those all your brothers and sisters? And I said, no, let me explain. I said, I have a younger sister, and she made some very poor decisions in her life. And my mom has stepped in and she is now raising all five of my nieces and nephews. And my mom's in her 60s, fought in cancer three times and won three times. Praise God, amen. And so now she's, she's raising all, all of these nieces and nephews. And I remember when my mom called and she says, we have custody of them. The judge has granted us custody. They're our kids now. And I remember I said, Mom, are we hillbillies now? And she goes, she goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, my nieces and nephews are now my brothers and sisters. Totally off the subject. And so, so I'm telling this to Tony and Jackie, and, and she, I'm telling her, you know, this is what's going on in my family. This is what's happened in my family. They've, they've had cancer. My mom's been divorced, and, and my sister made poor decisions. My mom raising all of these kids. And Jackie looks at me, and she says, huh. So you mean you're not perfect? And it was like right then that I was like, oh God. I have not been transparent enough with our students, with our leaders, because I want them to realize, you know what? 
You have a python, so do I. I have my struggles. I know exactly what my python was. My python was that Allah's sister was not doing what she needed to be doing and anger rose up in me tremendously towards her. And that was my python for a long, long time. It's taken quite a while for me to, to get rid of this python. But I thought to myself, you know what, why, why, do, why are we labeled as perfect people? We're not perfect. I guarantee you every single one of you has a python in your life. But sometimes we're just so embarrassed that we don't want people to know. The third reason that I think we don't want to get rid of our python, this is the last one, is fear of rejection. We don't want people to make fun of us. We don't want people to think less of us. If somebody found out that your python is this, you don't want them to look at you and be like, whoa, freak. And be like, I don't want to hang around you, man. And so we're, we're embarrassed that they're not going to like us anymore, so we just don't share what our python is. Because we're embarrassed. So many of us just don't feel like we can share with just anybody what's going on in our lives. Maybe, just maybe, and I pray not. Maybe it could possibly even be pride rises up. I said this in the first service, and I'm going to say it again today to you guys. Is don't let pride rise up on the inside of you. I'm only teachable from one person. Only one person can speak into my life. You're not Pastor Stormy, so I don't need to listen. You're just the youth pastor. I'm older than you are. Don't let pride rise up, guys. God has something for you, just like the person sitting next to you. You guys stand up on your feet with me.